I had to pick like one word to describe the moment that we're living in right now, I'd say it's overwhelming. Kind of uncertain, a little bit scary at times. Divided. Super, super, super divided. Uh, insanely stressful. I'm tired of seeing people suffering. It's just like a raging dumpster fire. Love, compassion, and power. Change. Change. Genuine change. The future that I would like to see involves a lot more listening, a lot more empathy and love, and a broader sense of acceptance and openness to everything and anything that could feel, look, appear different than what you might be used to. Welcome to The Future We Want, a podcast for rebellious leaders ready to get to work, do the work, and create the future we want. I'm Rafael Bemparad, founding partner of BBMG, a branding and social impact agency that works with leaders that won't wait on things that can't wait. In the wake of the coronavirus, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, the political joke between Trump and Biden, and um, even just thinking I lost my favorite basketball player, Kobe Bryant, at the beginning of this year. 2020 has been a lot, but um, I feel I've just been inspired um, from starting school to find solutions to these problems and try to make the best of the situation and to make it better. For a rising generation, the words used to describe 2020 reflect both profound challenge as well as powerful hope for change. In this special episode of The Future We Want, we go deep into findings from our new global survey of 27,000 people that we performed with our partners at Globescan, and we share the voices and visions of a new generation as we face what just may be one of the most transformative years for humanity in the last century. And to get us started, we speak with my brilliant friend and BBMG colleague, Jen Louie, who at 24 helped lead the research we're sharing. And as you'll hear, brings an honest and inspiring perspective on how we can show up together to meet this moment and where we go from here. Cool. Hey, Jen, we're recording. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. I am so excited. <laughs> I am really excited. Oh. That makes me excited. All right, let's dive in. Hello, Jen. Hi. It is awesome to see you and to hang out together today. We've had the opportunity to work together a lot over this past year, from helping our clients confront the deep divisions in our nation and advance a culture of human connection and belonging, to calling for a reset of capitalism so that our economy works for everyone and for the long term, and of course, helping lead BBMG's own journey to being an anti-racist organization and facing the structural racism in our own industry. So it has been quite a year. <laughs> and we're here today to take stock of this transformational year together, and in particular, dive deeper into our new global research report, which is called Radically Better Future, The Next Gen Reckoning for Brands. But before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own perspective about this moment that we're in and where we go from here as human beings, but also as branding and social change leaders 
who want to turn this moment of challenge into a true path to change. And last night we had our Thanksgiving gathering as a team, virtually, of course. <laughs> and as we shared gratitude all around, I was really inspired by how our team spoke about you, um, your sensitivity, your curiosity, your leadership and passion for our Jedi work, your bravery to always dive in, speak your truth and create a world that you believe in, not to mention your impressive Matisse-inspired pants. Um, <laughs> So if you don't mind, Jen, I'd love just to get a sense of what is at the heart of the story of Jen and what this kind of work that we've been doing together is all about for you. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Starting off with a big question. Um, <laughs> I would say in terms of what is at the crux of who I am is definitely who had shaped me growing up, and that is in large part my family, mainly my grandparents and my parents um, who had raised me. And so um, a lot of the values that I was instilled with centering around family and this sense of gratitude and appreciation for what I've been given in life and what I have and Every, every little thing that there is in life to offer, um, having a really deep sense of gratitude and um, making sure that I never take advantage of it. Um, and also using that as kind of a, I would say using that as motivation for what I will do with it. Um, and so I think in terms of how that, how that very core piece of me has traveled its way through time into BBMG would be, um, I found myself in business school, um, in undergrad, not really <laughs> resonating with anything that I was learning from the business classes because it really lacked what I thought was a grounding sense in taking responsibility from a social or environmental lens, which were areas that I knew I really cared about. And had a really hard time seeing where it came together with my business degree. It made me question a lot of things, if I was in the right major, if I was going to find a good job or the right job that I would actually really care about. And along that journey, I was exposed to things like B corporations, things like net impact, um, things like investment, uh, like uh, social investments and so corporate social responsibility. And these like little flags that kept appearing as I continued down my journey resulted in a internship doing diversity and inclusion work at a um, financial investments firm. Mm -hmm. And I, I kept seeing the small opportunities for these areas that I cared about and that I was familiar with to come together. And that's mainly in the cross section between, you know, businesses actually caring and doing something differently with their, with their power and influence to have an impact positively on the environment or on social issues. Um, and I was very fortunate to find BBMG, which works, as we all know, at the beautiful intersection of how these things come together. Um, and that's really what I was searching to do um, and just learn a lot more in because I think it's a really opportune space that a lot of more people should be working in. <laughs> Let's start with your experience of 2020, Jen, um, as a person. Take a moment, and then if you don't mind, just tell us 
what would be three words that you might use to describe the experience of this year for you? <laughs> oh boy. Overwhelming is definitely one. Um, challenging <laughs> and reflective. I would say just to expand on each of those a little bit further, obviously this year has been incredibly tough, incredibly challenging for everybody as, as individuals and as I think a collective universal you know, world as a nation, as a global citizen. It's been a really challenging time. And I think it's fair and expected that you feel overwhelmed amidst everything that's going on. And I uh, was definitely in that boat as well, um, especially over the summer. I think from the losses I experienced in my family before COVID, during COVID, and then witnessing the continuous trauma happening throughout the nation, which impacted the lives of my friends and people that I cared about and communities that I cared about. All of that takes a really heavy emotional mental toll. And I think the last part of that in terms of it being reflective is with that toll it takes forces me to kind of just look inward. Um, I think there came a point where I was really done with Twitter. I was done with Instagram. I couldn't see a single more like a single further post about activism and donating and doing all these things. And it took a while for me to come to the point where I was okay taking a step back and just breathing and taking a moment to look inwards and reflect on what it is that I might need right now, what it is that I could do within my sphere of influence or my everyday life in small actions. And that made me feel a lot more grounded and rooted in what I always go back to the sense of appreciation and gratitude and um, checking in with that core sense of who I am and like what I have in this world. I think it always allows me to breathe a little bit better and look at the world in a much more healthy light. Um, so I think that was a really important moment in, in that wave of being overwhelmed and feeling really challenged by these things in good and bad ways and productive and not productive ways to then arrive at, you know, the moments that are much needed where you're looking inwards and asking yourself the questions that I think ultimately we need to ask ourselves in order to keep moving forward. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious inside of that sort of moment of challenge and reflection, mm -hmm. What has been most on your mind? What are those issues or dynamics that are most present for you? Yeah, I think in the course of this year, it would be racial injustice, political division, or just division in general, especially in the United States, and um, climate change. Yeah, I think those are <laughs> those three together, you have a strong sense of impending doom and hopelessness and it's very easy to go down this track of feeling overwhelmed and at a loss so those are constantly on my mind 
You know, this is indeed, as you're mentioning, it's kind of a moment both of overwhelm and of challenge, but also of reflection. And we've spent the last number of months working together to listen to the voices of young people all around the world and are sharing what we're finding in terms of themes and trends and insights from a combination of 27,000 research respondents in our global survey with with Globescan, but also listening to the voices of some young people in the United States with Mm -hmm. some ethnographies. And for many young people, we're hearing from around the world that this very tumultuous, volatile, challenging year of 2020 has awakened a sense of urgency, but also a desire for more profound and significant change or structural change. And we asked young people to think about what matters most in building uh, this post-pandemic recovery, God willing, one day, and whether the priority should be on restructuring the economy so that it deals better with challenges like inequality and climate change, or just getting back to normal as soon as we possibly can. So let's open it up to some of the voices from our research, starting with Jonathan, who is 23 and lives in Brooklyn. Um, The moment we're living in is one of realization and reckoning, and just a time to really reflect on where we stand as a human race and where we want to end up, I think. I think we've realized there's a lot that we've been doing that's putting us on a trajectory for a place we don't want to end up. And so it's time to come to terms with that and no longer accept it and and really be bold in calling about a better reality. And building on what Jonathan is saying, it makes me think of a passage from Indian writer, journalist, and activist Arundhati Roy, who wrote in the Financial Times earlier this year that the pandemic is a portal. She said, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. And I think we hear a very similar sentiment from Jakira. She's 23 and she lives in Baltimore, Maryland. So truthfully, I'd say that um, we're currently living through a societal shift. I feel like a lot of issues that have been issues for a while are finally coming to the surface. And a lot of people are just getting to the point where they're tired of how they're being treated and just tired of seeing people suffering. I feel like um, now it's, it's one of the most powerful times in history, you know, People of all races, genders, uh, sexual orientations and beliefs are coming together to stand for what they believe is right and what is right, I'd say. So I just think that um, we're definitely seeing a change that we need and that um, there are some hard parts to deal with. But I do believe that they're necessary for us to get the change that we need and um, get to a place that would be better for the whole world. Jen, I'm curious, listening to Jonathan and Shakira and thinking about the choice between that more radical restructuring of our system, our economy, versus just getting back to normal as quickly as we can. Jen, in your own experience, what's your take? 
Yeah. Um, I am for a radical restructuring. And I think a very simple way of putting that in context is the definition of normal is so varied and problematic, I would say, in and of itself, especially in this country. There are a lot of communities that are seeking real deep change where there's nothing to that has existed I think that we would want to return to especially I think speaking as a person of color as you know a daughter of Chinese immigrants like the way that things existed structurally for immigrants in this country for black people in the education system like whatever systems there are like it it has not been working to the point where that's something nice that we would want to return to. And so I think we need to think a little bit deeper about what normal really means as a country for, for who is that normal. And when I go down that rabbit hole, I arrive at, it's really more so about a much deeper, much more radical change to what has quite frankly just not been working as well as it should be for a majority of the people. Yeah, yeah, normal, whatever that word means that you're saying, um, wasn't that great for a lot of folks. And even the idea of normal, I think, at a moment where we're reflecting on what that even needs to be. Um, and I really appreciate that point. And we've obviously been working a lot on these kinds of themes like stakeholder capitalism and even looking at like our culture of division and distrust and misinformation. When you think about the structural changes that are most important, what areas of life are you most worried about and where do you see the most opportunity for big change? There there are so many opportunities, I think, for change to occur and our systems to be improved upon. But I would say what really rises to the top for me lately, like this year, is within the work that Imperative 21 is doing. I think that provocation of challenging how businesses should, their philosophy behind business operating for the benefit of a few and not looking at the many that they are serving. um, That is, I think, a really necessary shift that business leaders should be making. And it's a really great opportunity for businesses and brands to do more than they're doing right now in service of who they're impacting. And I don't think traditionally businesses are asking themselves those questions around, you know, how is our product, how is our story being received by these communities? (laughs) How is it impacting their everyday lives? I I doubt any... (laughs) Boardroom is really like having a deep conversation about that, um, you know, five, 10 years ago. And I think what the work that Imperative 21 is doing, the work that a lot of smaller organizations and grassroots and brands are are pushing forward is that provocation and expectation from business leaders to do things differently. So that system is definitely one. In many of our conversations, Jen, with your peers, Mm -hmm. and in particular, some of the ethnographies that we've done together, we heard that 
you know, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, many folks in your generation are raising their voices on the issues that matter and taking to the streets to protest for positive change. And in fact, in the global data, three of every four young people under the age of 30 support using public protest to raise awareness of issues that matter to them. And here in the United States, one in five young people have personally protested in the last year, even in the context of the health pandemic. I'm curious, Jen, have you protested this year? And if so, like what brought you out and what has happened since? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I have this year. And I was out for the Black Lives Matter protest in Washington, D.C. But I also want to recognize, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. I mentioned that because when I partook in the protest, I really, really thought deeply about what this means for those I'm spending time with right now, living in a household like, together and for my own safety. And I think it puts in perspective for me personally, how strongly I felt about showing up that day is I was risking my health and safety because this is something that I would risk it for. I think protests, movements, collective action like that, there's there's so little in that I can think of that compares to the motivation, the inspiration, everything that comes with just being in a flowing line of sea of people marching right past the White House, marching right past, you know, all of these judicial court systems and everything, like especially in DC, that was really powerful. And it definitely sends a message. I mean, when you're that outraged, when you're that frustrated with things not working, nothing is changing, like a peaceful protest, just walking and showing how outraged you are and how much you're you're not going to stand for it. Raising your voice matters a lot and, and it tracks with so many of the people that we spoke to in the research, including Peter, who lives in Tallahassee, Florida, and is part of their local Black Lives Matter movement. In lieu of the George Floyd murder, I was upset, hurt, and just wanted my voice to be heard. Um, I took to the streets with my twin brother, where we organized with several college students and community leaders, where we just took a stand for our community. And I'm just appreciative of the voices and people that are standing up for what they believe in and are taking initiative for what we want, which is equality in this country. Peter's story speaks to the personal pain that so many people are feeling right now, and also the legacy of public protest in creating change in our society, which he reinforced in our conversation. Public protests have been, you know, just a, a way to voice uh, what it is that the unheard uh, have been feeling. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King, he actually, he quotes that, uh, the protest is the voice of the unheard. and. What would lead somebody to actually want to get out and stand on the side of a hot street on the sidewalk with the poster and their sign saying Black Lives Matter? These issues are not going unheard and um, you will hear our voice. This legacy of protest and the power of giving voice to the unheard has been a defining experience for many of the young people we interviewed. And it goes back many 
many years. Protests in the aftermath of the murder of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in Sanford, Florida in 2012, Michael Brown Jr. in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, and the death of Freddie Gray Jr. in Baltimore in 2015. And that tragedy in particular inspired Jakira to take action in her community. So here in Baltimore, during the Freddie Gray situation, I did join in some protests. Um, I was a high school student during the time, and I felt like I wasn't safe in the area that I went to school in, that I hung out with my friends. So I felt like it was really important for me to get out there and protest. It felt liberating and amazing to be a part of that change. You know, my parents got to see me on the news. I got to stand with policymakers and Congress people here in Baltimore. And it was just so powerful to see how me as a young, I'd say maybe 17 year old at the time, can use my voice and just, you know, get out there and make a difference. The story of protest as part of young people's experience right now speaks to a very profound dynamic tension that's happening in their lives. It's this combination of both outrage at the world we're living in and also optimism that things can change for the better. And we found in the research that young people around the world who are under age 30 are more hopeful about the future, that the future will be better for their children and grandchildren compared to people who are over 30. And at the same time, young people are feeling more concerned about the seriousness of the world's problems and this enormous pressure to act. So whether it's racism and violence against people of color or inequities in our economy, the climate crisis, or just the profound divisions in our society, young people are calling out the challenges and the contradictions that they see around them every day. Eric, who's 25 and lives in Medford, Massachusetts, specifically talks about economic inequities and the disparities of opportunity and wealth that we're facing here in the United States. It's just mind-blowing to me that we live in a country that's considered the wealthiest country in the world, yet so many people live in poverty, so many people are homeless, uh, so many people don't have access to health care. For Lauren, who lives in Orem, Utah, the idea of equity and equality is a social issue as well. Lauren is thinking about what it means to make equity and equality real for every American, regardless of who they are, where they come from, or who they love. The things that matter most to me are equality and equity for everyone. I feel like there is so much fighting and dispute regarding LGBTQ people, um, Black Lives Matters, refugees, immigrants, people that are just unlike the air quote, normal American, even though America is literally a melting pot. And for Jonathan, who we heard from earlier in the podcast, he sees the growing divisions in our society and in our politics as the problem inside all the other problems that we're trying to face together. I mean, I'm Black and I'm an immigrant, so it would be easy for me to say that the issues that are most important to me or that matter most to me are the ones of, you know, racial injustice and stereotypes against immigrants and whatever. But I think it's bigger than that. I think the biggest issue for me is just I want people to come together for things that matter. 
and focus on, on what brings us together, um, whether it be, you know, taking care of our environment, you know, taking care of environment, it comes back to taking care of each other. I just want us to focus on, on taking care of, of each other and, um, yeah, coming together for the things that make us one. So, Jen, as we listen to the voices of people like Eric and Lauren and Jonathan, I'd love to understand from your own perspective, what feels most urgent for you right now? Where do you find yourself most activated? Where's the core of this for you? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think in terms of core to my outrage would be around the stance that we can continue doing things the way that we've done things or we can return to the way that we've been doing things. That premise of just not wanting to even entertain the option or opportunity to progress and better the world in some way is incredibly frustrating to me because it makes me think there's so much privilege packed into that. You know, there's so much privilege in thinking how great the world was in this year or this time or in this context. And it completely leaves out of the picture the real experiences and the re very real context of other communities, majority of America, majority of this world probably, that are not benefiting from the way that things have been done. And I think just the opportunity to have everybody be open to the idea and the notion of change for improvement and positive impact and really hearing that out and listening with intent to what that could mean, that would make a huge difference. And I would feel a lot less frustrated if that existed in, in every corner of my experience. But I would say the urgency aspect is a little bit separate because where I feel the most urgent needs that need to be addressed are around climate change, but that's not necessarily my day-to-day -day identifiable aspects of like frustration and anger, but the urgency is so prevalent, which makes it so scary. And I think that's where I feel the most urgency and momentum to do everything that we need to do in order to make sure that the earth continues to thrive or at least be here. <laughs> One of the findings in our research is this combination of urgency for climate change solutions, but also a sense of guilt and shame for the own part we might play. And there was a very stark difference between people over 30 who may have recognized that climate change is an important issue, but did not feel personally that it caused them any sense of guilt or even the depth beyond that of, of shame. Young people were the exact opposite, which is not only was it a sense of profound urgency, but a feeling of guilt in their own lifestyles and even shame that they could be part of the problem on climate. One of the folks who really spoke to this in our research is Jakira from Baltimore. It is going to destroy the world and we need people to take this seriously. It is a problem that is 
at a pace so fast that it's actually scary. We need to be working every single day to reverse climate change. We also heard this sense of urgency from Gigi, who's 30 and lives in Oakland, California. She puts climate change in perspective of her own day-to-day experience with the recent wildfires, but also how climate is shaping her own aspirations and sense of possibilities for the future. Climate change is another example, especially with the fires raging in California. What are we doing so that we can have a sustainable future for our kids? Um, I want to be able to see myself having kids in the future, not in the way it is now. And Ethan, too, who lives in Los Angeles, he's feeling these same tensions and a growing pressure to take action. I 100% feel guilty for how I've lived, just kind of doing terrible things to our planet. And even I'm even more guilty now because I know the small things that I could be doing, and I'm not necessarily, you know, doing those things just because it's uncomfortable for me and it's not as convenient for me. And I also feel this pressure to do something with my life to um, improve our world situation because there's, it feels like there's too much to just ignore right now. And that it feels selfish to go into a career that, you know, solely interests me. Um, like I really feel like I need to do something with my life that helps the world and other people. And Jen, as we're listening to Ethan and the way that he's thinking about climate change as both a source of guilt, but also connected to his life's purpose. I'm just curious, you had mentioned a slight difference between something you feel urgent about and something that makes you feel outraged. So how are you facing climate? And to what degree do you feel like it's something that you have the power to influence? I do take solace in the fact that small actions matter, probably for my own selfish, you know, emotional gain. But that's why I compost and recycle and use reusable bags, because I do have to believe in in the fact that, you know, these tiny actions of me as a dust of a human being in the universe will have some sort of impact. And it's not that I think because I compost, you know, the the system benefits. It's because if I compost and I talk to my cousin about it, then she'll compost. And the ripple effect of just your behaviors potentially changing and influencing others is what I do believe in could occur because it's happened to me. You know, I was surrounded by folks that took certain actions to address climate change in college that really resonated with me. And then I adopted those changes in my life. And I think when you speak about the differences that generations feel in terms of urgency and guilt, it's really you know, about urgency and responsibility, I think, as well. And I think what that fact says to me is young people feel responsible. Like they feel responsible and obligated to find solutions to address climate change because we've been dealt a really crap hand from previous generations in terms of the state of our world. And I think, you know, something I'll just mention that's been on my mind a lot since you brought up the idea of doing this podcast was there's this common narrative that I hear all the time, all the time. And it's, 
you know, we're in good hands because of your generation. The younger generation, you guys will set things right. Like, we'll be okay. And I think I hear that. I hear the truth in that. But what I also hear is a division between the we are in good hands, being a collective, universal, everybody as society, we, and because of your generation, pinning it, all the responsibility on a a select few or like, you know, a population. It makes me think, what makes you think that you're not a part of this picture? What makes you think that you can just cut yourself right out and we'll take you know, all the responsibility and make it all go away and set things right. And I think that, you know, goes back to when businesses put out commitments after the murder of George Floyd, they're putting them, they're, they're seeing themselves in the picture now, and we're going to make sure they really hold themselves there and continue to see themselves as part of the solution and not rely on this NGO, this grassroots org, these young people to solve all their issues for them. Um, I think it's everybody has to see themselves in the picture. Amen to that. And, (laughs) you know, your peers in our research very clearly are looking for bold and brave leadership from brands to meet the challenges that we're in together and that you will support brands that are stepping up to this moment, but you'll also reject brands based on whether and how they take action. So I would like to just drop some facts here that I think can help illuminate this moment for brands and the reality that we're entering a time to lead or be left behind. So first, young people believe in the power of brands to drive change. 81% of young people under age 30 and 79% of folks over 30 all agree that companies and their brands are an essential part of the solution for the challenges facing humanity today. And the data shows that the next generation feels this even more strongly. Second, young people want to be part of the solution with you. 85% say they're interested in sharing their ideas and experiences with companies to help them develop better solutions to social and environmental problems. And this matters to employee performance and loyalty as well. 59% of young people who currently work for companies with more than 1,000 employees say they strongly agree that the more socially and environmentally responsible my company becomes, the more motivated and loyal I am as an employee. So taken together, the research is pretty compelling for brand leaders because it provides even more solid evidence why taking a stand on the issues and taking concrete action to drive impact really matters to creating brand authenticity, relevance, deeper relationships, and loyalty. And yet at the same time, while young people believe in the power of brands and want to support brands for taking positive action, they are also more than ready to back boycotts of brands who are sitting on the sidelines or not taking accountability for their negative impact. In fact, Gen Zers of the United States are two times more likely than boomers to strongly support organizing boycotts against companies that they think are irresponsible. So... 
to appreciate the human story behind this data, let's hear from some of the voices in our research conversations. And I think it's helpful to just listen to them directly. So here is Avery, Jonathan, Jakira, and Gigi speaking to their expectations for brands and opportunities to work together to create positive change. I think that brands really have a huge responsibility to be leaders and to create sustainable business models. And I think that a lot of people look up to brands and they listen to them and they follow them and they are uh, invested in a brand. And I think that brands have that responsibility, having such a large following, to uh, say something because they have the power to influence hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, I think that having that kind of audience comes with a responsibility to stand up for what's right and to create positive change in the world. That is the goal. And the only way that this happens is if we hold each other accountable. We hold brands accountable, we hold companies accountable, and companies and brands hold everybody else accountable, hold the governments accountable, hold the people accountable. We have to do everything in our power to continue advancing and to clean up messes that have been made and to recognize faults and be quick to to fix mistakes and to take the opportunity to move forward responsibly. A lot of the decisions that we make are made with companies and made with brands, like big decisions. You know, where we live, how we get around. Established brands and companies can make changes too that will help us move towards a better future, like the messaging we choose to put out, the way we choose to produce, the way we choose to employ, the way we choose to treat employees. Companies and brands are an essential part of the solution to challenges facing humanity today, definitely. So I think it's important that these brands, you know, make public statements about how they feel about the things that are going on, whether that's with the racial injustices or, you know, equity issues or just with the pandemic. Um, I think it's important that they are hiring people that represent the people that, you know, use their brand, whether that's people of color, women, people of different sexual sexual orientations. Um, It's definitely important for that image, you know, so that people are seeing people that look like them using these brands and working at these brands. I think that's really great. I've seen some really inspiring work from some brands such as Nike, you know, putting out statements about how they feel about everything and, you know, working to diversify their their workforce. I think it's beautiful and I, I really wish that other brands do it too. I definitely think that brands and corporations specifically have a role to play a moral responsibility to act in the times that we are now. We're no longer at a time where you can just sit around and pretend that you're blind to all the political, social issues that are going on right now. And considering their role in capitalism and how that also impacts the injustices and that disruption of power balances in our society, they should have a big role in trying to address those issues. And not only that, but to provide solutions and building our community up as opposed to bringing them down. I would definitely love the opportunity to share my ideas and my own personal experiences and find a collaborative way to work with these companies so that we are addressing these social and environmental problems and finding sustainable solutions that, you know, would positively impact everyone across the board. I know that's definitely a 
hard thing, I think, to strive towards, but I, I find that companies need to listen more to the people, to the individuals that are um, affected, and they definitely have something to say and could possibly have a great answer or solution to the problems at hand. So, Jen, building on what we're hearing here about higher expectations, but also co-creativity and collaboration, I would really love, Jen, if you wouldn't mind, speak directly to a brand leader, someone who's a marketer, a founder or CEO of a company, or even an organization in the nonprofit sector. And if you wouldn't mind just looking them in the eye and heart to heart, what do you expect of them now? How do you call on them to show up right now? I would say being open. It's very much like speaking to a friend that I might have some disagreements with and, you know, what I think is really essential in this moment. And that goes back to being open, being open to the discomfort of not really knowing, you know, if this is going to be well-received, if this is a little bit different than what you've said before, um, whatever that discomfort of just like uncertainty is, I think it's very difficult as a business, as a brand to accept that and to really like almost welcome it in a way and own it. But I do think it has rewards when you do that because it's so human. Like young people see brands so like straight through you. Like if you're throwing out some half-hearted statement that is not true to who you are and your values, and you're also not really listening to the cultural conversation, we can pick that up immediately. And so it's really about being able to sit in the discomfort of not knowing or doing things a little bit differently than what you've done before, listening with intention to what your consumers are saying, what even the folks that are working within your company are saying. And that whole exercise of being open and listening with intention is, is just practicing empathy. And I think, you know, businesses and brands are not known to have an empathetic muscle. A lot of people might not expect them to have an empathetic muscle. That premise alone makes me smile. And I have no idea what it looks like because I don't know if it exists yet. I don't think it does, but it sounds really great because I don't see it. And I, I wish... We saw it. So, yeah. I'm so delighted by what you're saying uh, because the answer, as you're describing it, Jen, is not some five point strategic plan or this particular <laughs> playbook. It's deeply human and it's deeply honest. And, uh, and as our colleagues at Einhorn Collaborative would say, it's it's deeply relational. Mm -hmm. And the premise of it is be a human being. Mm -hmm. Show up, listen with an open mind. Mm -hmm. Be open to the fact that you may be surprised mm -hmm. and allow that to guide you mm -hmm. in the work. And, you know, not knowing the answer at a moment where we have to radically reimagine who we are and where we go, not knowing is a gift. Mm -hmm. yeah. The premise of this very podcast is to reflect together on the moment we're in and also imagine how might we build the future we want, a future that we all might want to be part of. Mm -hmm. 
And that idea, that meditation on the moment we're in and where we might go from here has been the impulse behind every one of our conversations on the podcast. So I think it's appropriate and important to specifically ask what a vision of the future might look like for the next generation and what it means to young people as we navigate this inflection point in history. So let's pass the mic to the voices of young people in our research to understand the future they want. So the future that I want is a future without judgment. I feel like everyone should be able to live the life that they choose to, believe in what they want to believe in without being, you know, just crucified, disrespected and treated like trash. I feel like everyone deserves to live their authentic life the way that they want to without feeling pressured to conform to societal norms. I think that it's ridiculous. We need to be a freer society all around. The future that I want to see is one that is equitable, inclusive, and representative of all Americans, not just one demographic. Um, for society, I want there to be equal and um, equitable opportunities for everyone. Um, business and brands need to be um, socially aware. Politics needs to be not corrupt. I'd like a more unified nation in the future. I'd like um, less manipulation of the people. I'd like less corruption and politicians, business and everything. Businesses and brands definitely can have a big impact. They do make a lot of money. They can use that in various ways and have a good impact on us as a nation. Overall, I want my future to be prosperous, um, full of equal opportunity and success. As I continue my education, um, I want to be judged based off of the content of my character and the quality of my work. Uh, a future that I want is a positive future, is a just future, um, an equal future, uh, a future in which there is a clean earth um, for my children, for me, my children, uh, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, uh, a future in which uh, in which people are kind to one another, a future where brands take responsibility and create positive change and um, do more good than they do bad. I think it's really important to look on the bright side of things and I think that we have to look for the light at the end of the tunnel and sometimes you have to make your own light and that's okay but once we kind of figure out how to make the best out of things we can do some pretty amazing things. I want a future where our differences don't divide us, where we can focus on the things that unite us, that bring us together, the things that make us stronger as a whole. Um, I want a future where people are building each other up, um, where people are recognizing the greatness within themselves and using that realization to realize the greatness in others as well. That was Jakira, Gigi, Edward, Peter, Avery, and Jonathan. And I think they speak really beautifully to the combination of hopes and aspirations, but also the anxieties and ambivalences that we're experiencing right now, just on a very personal level as human beings. And Jen, I would love for you to have the last word here. With the future we want in mind, and to conclude our conversation, which has been glorious, thank you. <laughs> what is the future you want? Yeah, but before I give that final answer, thank you so much for inviting me to be speaking on the podcast and have this conversation. It was very fun. Um, I was a little bit nervous, but it was very fun. And I would say the future that I would like to see it involves a lot more listening, 
a lot more empathy and love and a broader sense of acceptance and openness to everything and anything that could feel, look, appear different than what you might be used to. And the more that we're open to people and perspectives that are different from what we're used to, and like you said, welcome a bit of surprise here and there, that just increases our capacity as human beings, as brands, as organizations, as businesses to, to really expand our perspective, our ability to exercise empathy, listen to other people, grow our consumer base, whatever it might be. There's so much wrapped into just going back to these very, very core human truths of empathy, love, understanding, and acceptance and that's that's what I would like to see a lot more of. And that's what I aim to do in my own life, um, to practice a little bit more of every day. Amen to that. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much. Thank it you. is such an honor and a joy to work together, to be on the path with you. You have inspired me literally every day. <laughs> uh, you, you have been my teacher. Uh, and I feel like, through this work together and just the honest and open way we're grappling with the unknown, mm -hmm. uh, but doing it with love and curiosity and respect. And I think moments of real joy yeah. together, moments of real joy. It's the work you're describing. It's mm -hmm. the work to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to share a deep appreciation for how much I've learned from you and and how inspired I am by your example. Likewise. <laughs> I, I had a lot more fun than I thought. I was like really sweating this, to be honest. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad it just turned out to be a pretty solid conversation and hopefully I don't hate everything that I hear back. <laughs> you will not, I promise. I promise, it's uh, really great. Rock on, I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to The Future We Want from BBMG. We've been speaking with my dear friend and BBMG colleague, Jen Louie, as we explore the voices and visions of a rising generation as they navigate one of the most transformative years in our lifetimes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a review as it helps others find the podcast. And you can download the full version of our research report and find additional resources on how to build a regenerative brand at bbmg.com forward slash views. Our research was performed together with our awesome and longtime partners at Globescan and with our new friends Zach Courtier and Meg Farrell at Nimbly. A special shout out to the great team that produced the report, Liz Courtney, Jen Louie, Brianna Quindazzi, Jess Patera, Hannah Cockman, and Allison Ross at BBMG, along with Chris Coulter, Eric Wan, Tova Momquist, James Morse, Francis Cohen, and Stacey Rowland at Globescan. The Future We Want is produced by Liz Courtney. Original music and audio production is by Go Destroy Art. See you in the future. I am a teenager, okay? And so I'm in that phase now where I'm starting to realize what time really means um, and how much time I have left on Earth, which is 
seems like a lot now, but my worst fear is that I'm going to get to the end and to my deathbed um, having had regrets.